Well, this being Pentecost, I thought it appropriate to read from Acts chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. It takes us back to this event that happened some 2,000 years ago. We know that uh, Jesus had just recently ascended up to heaven to take his place once again at the Father's right hand, and as he had promised, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place, most likely the place where they had the Last Supper with Jesus. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you supposed. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead and freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know, the Holy Spirit is sometimes hard to imagine. I think we can all pretty much visualize God the Father because we're familiar with fathers. <laughs> we maybe think of God the Father as an, an older type individual sitting on the throne in heaven, although he doesn't look like an old man at all. He's spirit. And we think of Jesus Christ. We don't have a problem visualizing him because we've all known of a son. We've had sons or we've been a son and we know what that's like. In fact, Jesus came down to earth 
fully God and fully human to help us to better understand what he's all about. But the Spirit is different. We don't really have anything to relate to when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So for some of us, it might be a little bit more difficult visualizing what he's like. But with God's help today, I think that uh, we can come to a better understanding. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you're a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we're going to put our focus today on the, on the Holy Spirit and uh, discuss one particular aspect of our relationship with him, a very important aspect. So Father, send the Holy Spirit here today in a powerful way. And Holy Spirit, help us to understand you a little bit more deeply and the role that you play along with God the Father and Jesus Christ. And help us to come to a deeper appreciation of who you are and what you do for us. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When it came to preparing this sermon, I was trying to focus on one particular aspect of the Holy Spirit to maybe elaborate on that and uh, help us to see him a little bit more clearly. But you know what? There is so much that the Holy Spirit does for us. So I focused on one particular role of the Holy Spirit, and that is the role of the Holy Spirit in conversion. Now, we've all been converted. We've been called. We heard the gospel. We responded to it. We accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And what I want to do is discuss the Holy Spirit's role in that. Because the Holy Spirit plays a vital role in our conversion, in our becoming a Christian, more than we tend to give him credit for. We tend to focus first and foremost on Jesus' death on the cross, and rightly so, because that was absolutely essential for our salvation. The price had to be paid, first of all, for our sins, and that's what Jesus did. Now, having finished that job, the plan was for him to depart, to ascend back to heaven, to be with the Father. Now, he hasn't retired because his work continues as our high priest and as our intercessor. But it's like the ball was handed now to the Holy Spirit. And here on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way and his work begins. Not that he hasn't done anything before because he was involved with the creation. Uh, the book of Genesis tells us it was the Spirit of God that hovered over the earth as creation was taking place. But this is a very special role that he plays in regard to us and our salvation. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, salvation would not be possible. Do you realize that? Certainly, Jesus' death on the cross was essential for us. But in a similar way, the work that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf is just as essential. And if there, there was no Holy Spirit and he was not doing the work that he does for us, we couldn't be saved. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we'll begin in verse 7. First of all, understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the sinner of his or her sin and the need for a savior. Now, you see, Jesus did his work by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But you see, what has to happen now is we have to respond to that. 
reality. We hear the gospel, who Jesus was, what he did, why he died on the cross, and that's all well and good. We hear that and kind of understand that. But now the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and he is the one, when we hear the gospel, who convicts us of our sin and that we have a need for a savior. So Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just a historical fact. It's something that is crucial for us individually as a person. Now that's where the Holy Spirit's work begins. John 16 and verse seven says this. This is Jesus speaking just prior to his departure. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So what does it mean to convict? It means to declare somebody guilty. You know, you could be taken to trial for, you know, committing a crime, but unless you're convicted, you're still okay. <laughs> you, can, you can get off scot-free. So to be convicted means that the court or the jury found that the evidence shows that you're indeed guilty. You did the crime, so you're going to have to suffer the consequences. So what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts and minds when we hear the gospel, he shows us that we have sinned. And he brings us to the point where he convinces us of that and he convicts us. He says, you know what, you're guilty. The more you read about God and God's law, you realize that you've broken the law many times over your life. So the Holy Spirit does his convicting through the preaching and the hearing of the gospel. Now, why am I here today? Why are you here today? Because at some point in your life, you heard the gospel. Now, many of us old timers in this church, we may have first read about it in a magazine or heard about it on a radio uh, broadcast or a television telecast. We heard a preacher telling us about the Bible and, and what, who Jesus was and why he died on the cross and what that means for us and that we have sinned, we're sinners. And unless something happened to save us from our predicament, we're facing eternal death because of our sins. And something clicked in our minds and in our hearts. And that was the Holy Spirit convicting us. Now, not all people today are convicted. And I'm gonna show you some examples of that in a little bit. The Holy Spirit has a hard job to do. He tries to bring you to the point where you realize you're a sinner and you need help desperately. That's what it means for the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins. Now the Holy Spirit, as I said, does his convicting through the preaching and hearing of the gospel. That's the main way you find out about Jesus Christ. It could have been your mother taught you that, or your father taught you that, or you picked it up somewhere along the way. Maybe you were going to church and you heard it. Or like I said, in a magazine article or a telecast or broadcast. Something happens in your mind where you take it personally and you realize, hey, I understand this and I know now that I need a savior and I need to do something about this. I don't want to be dead for all eternity. 
I want to go to heaven or I want to live with God forever as he promises. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's turn back there and look at a couple of scriptures. This thing about how do we hear the gospel or how through what means does the Holy Spirit do his work? It's through preaching. It's through the gospel. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 1 verse 12. 1 Peter 1 verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them, talking about angels here, that they were not serving themselves, but angels serve you. When they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the way you heard the gospel and started to understand was the work of the Holy Spirit. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, you would have heard the gospel and it would have just zipped right over your head. It wouldn't have made sense to you. It wouldn't have had any impact on you were it not for the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit used the gospel that you heard to convict you of your sins and to bring you to the point of conversion, baptism. See, the Holy Spirit has been the moving force inspiring the original writers of the books of this Bible. Each and every one of the authors of the different books of the Bible was moved by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's how they were able to write the things that they wrote. Not only did the Holy Spirit do that in history, but he preserved this book, the Bible for us, down through the millennia. Uh, my wife and I were down in uh, Orlando, Florida, visiting our daughter. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but they have a place called the Bible Land or something like that. You can see it from the freeway as you drive by in Orlando. And it looks over here like, that looks like the temple in Jerusalem. And I'm driving down the freeway in Orlando. So we decided to go there, and I'm glad we did. Because it's like walking into Jerusalem. They've got everything designed and built like ancient Jerusalem was. And they put on little acts and plays and things like that. But in this complex, they have a Bible museum. And you go in there, and it's kind of neat because it's dark, and you walk through this, and they have different displays set up and uh, kind of action displays. But it talks about how the Bible was preserved down through centuries and millennia. And it talks about how there were forces throughout all time trying to destroy the Bible. And it talked about some of the great Christian leaders of their day who died preserving God's word. So it could be handed down from generation to generation. And I think it's a good thing to see if you ever get the chance. Because we so often take the Bible for granted. It's here. I mean, if you want a Bible... Just to go to a bookstore and buy one or get on your cell phone and, you know, hit the right uh, website and you can bring it up for free. But you don't realize that the Holy Spirit has fought a battle down through the ages against forces, satanic forces, and men and nations and armies who wanted nothing more than to destroy this book off the face of the earth. So he's preserved God's word through the millennia from evil powers who tried to destroy it. He, through the ages, has inspired preachers, like me, to deliver the gospel to audiences. And he's inspired the audiences to hear with understanding. 
and to convict listeners to respond to what they hear. The Holy Spirit's job never ends. Notice what it says here in uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, you Christian, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So how are we converted? By hearing the word of God, by hearing the gospel, by reading our own particular uh, Bible. We've been born again through what? The word of God. We've heard the word of God supplied to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. So you see, that's how the Holy Spirit is involved in our conversion. He has done all this background work, inspiring the writers of the Bible, preserving the Bible, and then when we get together to talk about the Bible, he inspires the preacher, he inspires the audience. And he has inspired you and convicted you of your sins and for your personal need for a savior. And that's why we're here today. And the praise goes to the Holy Spirit for the work that he's done. Now, when the Holy Spirit preaches the gospel, and he does it in many ways, as he's doing right now through me, there are two different reactions that the Holy Spirit faces when he inspires the gospel to be preached. Now, I want to give you two examples, a negative example and a positive example. And this happens to this day today. Because the Holy Spirit is continuing to inspire the preaching of the gospel. He's trying to convict people of their sins. Here, let's look at a negative example. Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 51. Now, this was an inspired sermon, preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit at work behind the scenes trying to convict people of their sins and to show them their need for a savior. So here is Stephen preaching a powerful sermon in Acts chapter 7. But it gets to the point in his preaching, he must have got, been getting some uh, feedback from the audience. He can tell by the, uh, the look on their faces, the negativism, the, the critical attitude that they're showing, you know, sitting there with their arms crossed, shaking their heads no to everything that he's trying to say and explain about Jesus Christ. And finally, in Acts 7, verse 51, he says to the audience, <laughs> You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So notice it's the Holy Spirit preaching the gospel through Stephen to this audience. And when uh, Stephen says this, who does he say that they're resisting? God the Father? Not necessarily in this case. Jesus Christ? Not necessarily in this case. The Holy Spirit. You're resisting the Holy Spirit with your negative, critical attitudes. He says, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, so here's the audience. They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. So who was motivating Stephen at the time of this powerful sermon? Full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. That's a negative reaction to the preaching of the gospel, if I ever heard one. So you see, the Holy Spirit empowers whoever is preaching the gospel. He's there working in the audience, trying to bring them to the point of conviction of their sins, so that they can accept Jesus as their savior, be converted, be baptized, but it doesn't always work. God doesn't force people. He makes the gospel available. The Holy Spirit tries to do his work, and sometimes it doesn't work out. That's why you know, we live in a society today where I don't know the percentage of people who consider themselves Christians anymore or who go to church regularly, but you know that human nature raises its ugly head and fights back against God. So resisting the gospel is resisting the Holy Spirit, as Stephen said. Because it's the Holy Spirit who's conveying the message from the speaker to the audience. In fact, you know, Jesus talked about something called the unpardonable sin. Remember that? The sin from which you can't be forgiven. People think, whoa. What is that? I hope I've never committed that. Well, he went on to explain that the unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes to you with the gospel, and he's trying to convict you of your sins and bring you to the point of accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the one who is doing all of this work on your behalf, if you're like this audience that Stephen just faced and you mock it and you get angry when you hear the gospel, well, the Holy Spirit, when he is blasphemed, you're rejecting him and you're rejecting the work he's trying to do in your life for your salvation. In other words, you're rejecting the only hope you have. When you reject the Holy Spirit and reject the gospel, that's what God has provided for you. <laughs> for your salvation, to be saved from your sins. And if you reject that, you've rejected all hope that you've had. And God is not going to, to forgive that because it's ludicrous. You've just rejected the one hope God has given you. Now let's look at another example in Acts chapter 2. We'll read a little further on the account of Pentecost here, and we're going to see a positive example of people reacting to the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 and verse 22. After Peter delivered this sermon that we just read a little bit about, in verse 22 he preached about Jesus, how this man Jesus verse 23, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, what's the reaction of the audience in this case? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So it's a humble, penitent response. See, the Holy Spirit is at work here too, but now the people are responding. 
And they said, you know, Peter, what will God have us do now? We're convicted. We're sorrowful for what we've done. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the same Holy Spirit doing the work in both scenarios. But on the one hand here, you've got a group that responded, who allowed themselves to be convicted of their sins and their need for a savior, as opposed to Stephen's episode, where they totally rejected him and eventually stoned him to death. So this is the work that the Holy Spirit faces. I mean, some people respond and some people don't. Maybe you can even think of your life early on. You know, I've spoken to, to some church members over the years who recounted how God was calling them over a period of years and they just put it off and shrugged it off and said, well, maybe sometime later in life, or they didn't think it was important at the, at the time, but you know what? The Holy Spirit didn't give up. He continued his work, and eventually, these people were called to salvation. So this was a favorable response that the Holy Spirit was seeking on Pentecost Day. So after convicting a sinner to believe the gospel and to repent, it is the Holy Spirit who gives new life or what the Bible, the, the Christian term is regeneration, a new life to the sinner. And that's what we have all received here, a new life. The Old Testament prophets predicted this. I won't turn there, but uh, in Isaiah 32, verse 15, Isaiah talked about a time when the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out and it was gonna be like the desert becoming a fertile field. So he was predicting Pentecost. He said the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out and desert lands were going to become a fertile field. And also Ezekiel in chapter 37, remember the prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones, where Ezekiel saw a valley filled with dead bones, dried out bones. And God said, can these bones live again? And God said, you just watch. And he brought together all of these bones. And it, what it represented was people who were dead in their sins, as you and I were before our calling. And all of a sudden, all these bones came together, and God said, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and you shall live. So what that was predicting was not necessarily the resurrection in the future, but it was predicting what happened to us. When we were called in our sins, Christ died for us in our sins, and we responded to the gospel and the call of the Holy Spirit. We were convicted of our sins and our need for a savior, and that was fulfilled in our life, and it has been fulfilled for many people. So what we're experiencing now through the Holy Spirit was predicted long ago, centuries ago, during the Old Testament by the prophets. 
Notice what Jesus also uh, prophesied or predicted. John chapter 7, verse 37. He prophesied the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and what it would mean for people who responded to that calling. John 7, verse 37. Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles, and on the last great day of the feast, as we had discussed some time ago in a, another sermon, there was a, a tradition or a practice where the priest would go to this one spring there in the city of Jerusalem and get water from this spring. And the people were lined up all around watching this holy ceremony, and the priest would take this water back to the temple and would pour it on the altar. Just a very holy and a very special ceremony. So it was on this day, notice, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. So as all this was happening in this ceremony with the water, Jesus said this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now the water here represents the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus returned to the Father at the time of his ascension, the Spirit would be given to those who would come to faith in Christ. Then they would have waters of life. In other words, the Holy Spirit in them. So you see, the Holy Spirit is not just an outside observer in our lives. He now dwells in us. When we were baptized, we received the Holy Spirit. He actually dwells in us. And that's why Jesus predicted that for Christians, rivers of living water flow out of us. What does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit is in us, and at times he flows out of us to be a blessing to others. You know, when you do good works for others, that is rivers of living water flowing out of you. When you make a donation to the offering, that is rivers of living water flowing out of you. When you serve in any respect in the church, that is rivers of living water. When you reach out and help anybody with a kind word of encouragement, that is the Holy Spirit. That is rivers of living water flowing out of you, as Jesus predicted. And that has come true in our lives and continues to come true on a regular basis. So we're talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. Let's look at one more in John 3, verse 3. We remember Jesus' conversation with a Pharisee, of all things, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus had some real questions. He was striving to understand. Jesus knew he was limited in his understanding because he didn't have the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was trying to understand or help him to understand certain things about the role of the Holy Spirit in our calling. It says in John 3, verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He has a new life experience. He is reborn. Well, how can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So again, when we accept Jesus as our savior, after having been convicted of our sins and repenting, the spirit comes to dwell in us and there is a rebirth that takes place in our lives. We are no longer the same people we used to be. The dead things are being put in the past, sin, and a new life has entered into us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus. I doubt that he got the point because it takes the Holy Spirit to begin to understand the meaning of these things. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, unless you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's presence in us that makes us alive. So if it were not for the Holy Spirit, salvation would not be possible. Jesus did his part on the cross, but the whole plan was for the next phase to begin, the Holy Spirit's phase. That's why Jesus had to depart, because they weren't going to both be working together and contrary to each other. Jesus backed out of the way, went back to heaven, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to once now begin his powerful work. So once Jesus paid the penalty for our sins by his death on the cross, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our guilt and our need for a savior. So see, for some people, Jesus' death on the cross is meaningless because they don't respond to the gospel. They're not convicted of their sins. They don't see the need for what Jesus did on the cross to apply to their life. They're not convicted of their sins. They don't think they're that bad of a person. They compare themselves to others who are worse than them. What do I need a savior for? I'm not as bad as that guy or that woman over there. The Holy Spirit is trying to do his work, but there requires a response. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our guilt and our need for a savior and brings us to repentance. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. He sanctifies us. In other words, he sets us apart as belonging to God and he gives us new life. He teaches us about God and helps us to obey him. Let's look at one last scripture in the book of Titus. Titus chapter three. Titus 3, beginning in verse 3. Paul says to us as Christians, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Sin, in other words. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by whom? The Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, 
having the hope of eternal life. Now, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So that gives us insight as to why Pentecost happened. Why Jesus had to depart first before the Holy Spirit could be sent. And how our salvation is twofold, if you will. There's the death of Jesus on the cross, which was absolutely vital. But then a helper was sent to help us to respond to the calling, to respond to the gospel, to make the truth, the history of Jesus Christ's death on the cross personal for each and every one of us. And if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit's work, the death of Jesus on the cross would just be a historical fact. It would have no meaning for us personally. So we pray that the Holy Spirit continue his work, not only in our lives, but in the lives of countless others who still need to respond to the gospel. And we pray that God will soften, soften their hearts so that there can be a good response. Not like the crowd that was listening to Stephen, but like the crowd that was listening to Peter, who responded, who repented, and were baptized. Thousands of people. So we give God thanks today for the Holy Spirit, an important person in the Trinity, the triune God that we worship. And now we see a little bit more clearly what he has done and continues to do in our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your awesome plan. You have uh, put together this plan before the world was ever created, the Bible tells us. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God, sacrificed from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world. Because you knew, Father, when you created this human race, that we were going to fail, that we didn't have the wherewithal to obey you. So you knew that a, a new covenant was going to be needed, not merely the old covenant that you established with Israel, but a new covenant that you would establish with all people. And Father, it involved not only the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, but it also involved the important, powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for dwelling in us. And uh, we just pray that you help us to get out of the way and to let you do your work in us, to make us the kind of people that the Father wants us to be. We know that that's your job. And we're sorry, we repent for the times that we're stubborn and we dig in our heels and we say no to you because we're more comfortable with the old ways of life. But Holy Spirit, we just pray that you help us to humble ourselves and to allow you to do this changing work in us, this rebirth, this uh, new creation that we have become in the eyes of God. So Holy Spirit, thank you once again. And we just pray that uh, your work will be completed in us as we know it will. So Father, Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit as well as your Son, Jesus Christ. All praise, honor, and glory goes to you, our God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.